Shall we pray? Let's pray as we stand. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you've done in our midst. For the way that you've transformed us personally. From the way that over the centuries you have built your church here. The way that in recent times you've encouraged us to reach out, to restore, to renew, to make the name of Jesus known. We pray that our hearts may be aligned with Jesus Christ. That his Holy Spirit may speak to us in the deepest parts, transforming us for your glory. Amen. Will you please be seated? We continue our series on uh, children's stories that we probably shouldn't tell to children, but we do anyway. And we get to Gideon. And really, my central message of today, as we look at the whole of the life of Gideon briefly, so if you do have your Bibles open, you might want to do, do that, but we don't consider the whole of the life of Gideon, not just the bit that we heard today. The, bit, the one message that I want you to hold in your head is this, is that the economy of God is different. The ordering, the way, the mechanism, the economy of the kingdom of God is different from the economy of the kingdom of the world. And that we are called to live by the economy of God, not the order of this world. We are called to align ourselves with the way that God acts in this universe. And sometimes... That's fundamentally different from the things that make sense to us. That actually the decisions that we make individually, as a community, as a church, we can sometimes make out of a human, cerebral way of thinking, rather than exploring what does the economy of God say? What do the principles that we find in the Bible, instructs us to do. Particularly, I think, as a well-resourced church with lots of opportunities, with a wonderful building and amazing people, we could fall into a trap of running a church like a business rather than running the church like the adventure that God has called it to be. I'll give you some examples from the Gospel. Some examples that you all know. At the end of this series, we're going to talk about the parable of the lost sheep. We all know that parable, don't we? The shepherd who had a hundred sheep. One goes lost. He goes goes to look for that one. He re-enters his village going, Hurrah, I found this lost sheep. It shouldn't be, perhaps, the parable of the lost sheep. It's the parable of the pretty hopeless shepherd. He starts off with a hundred and ends up with one in the Gospel of Luke. The economy of God is that that one is more important than 99. The farmer who sows his seed, again, we know it, don't we? Seed lands on the path and the good soil and the weeds and the birds. Really, this is the the parable of a farmer who throws half his seed into weeds and on the path. A pretty undiligent farmer. The story of the prodigal son Or maybe the story of the father who loses half his money, somehow keeps his son and has to give another half away to the the son who's been restored. 
The story of the woman who finds a coin. And so excited about finding this coin that she throws a party. Now parties cost more than one coin. (laughs) She finds one coin and then spends a hundred coins celebrating that fact. Shepherd, farmer, father, woman who finds the coin. All of them foolish in some way. I'm tempted to say stupid. But all of them, Jesus makes clear, reflect the heart of God the Father. All of them reflect something of the nature of God and they tell us something of the economy of God that we also see in this story of Gideon. That the path that we are called to tread is not the one that is sensible sometimes. Let's turn to Gideon. Firstly, Gideon is not where he's meant to be. Right at the beginning of the story, and you can miss this if you're not careful, the angel of the Lord comes to a certain oak, and Gideon's not there. Gideon is in a wine press. Uh, you may have heard, the, this is the thing that's majored on in the children's story, isn't it? That Gideon's cowering in the wine press because the Midianites have started to conquer Israel. The Midianites, Israel has known some good times, but now all of a sudden the Midianites are starting to take over and he's hiding there. And what's he doing in the wine press? What's he got in the wine press? You always have grapes in the wine press. No, for some reason he's got wheat in the wine press. He's fresh in wheat. Fresh in wheat is normally a task that is done on the, top, on the mountain tops. You need space to fresh meat, fresh wheat, fresh wheat, fresh meat, fresh, fresh wheat. That's a tongue twister. You throw it up in the air, and the wind takes away some of the chaff, and the good stuff comes back down. You need space. You need wind. You need, um, you, you need, you need all the things you don't have. In a wine press, in this enclosed space, I watched um, a number of videos of how to fresh wheat. Some of them in slow motion. My YouTube kind of list of what I've watched is really strange when it comes to sermon preparation. I was watching how to fresh wheat videos in preparation for this. So here is Gideon. He is scared of the Midianites. He is naive because he doesn't realize that the reason that Israel has lost its favor with God is because they fall into sin. He is incompetent because he is trying to use a wine press to fresh wheat. He is probably small because the children's stories tell us that, because wine presses tend to be quite small. And then the angel of the Lord appears to him. And when it says angel in the Lord in the Old Testament, this is shorthand for saying God shows up. And he says, mighty warrior. This incompetent man who's trying to fresh wheat in a wine press, scared of the Midianites, is called mighty warrior. There's a bit of me that wants to describe this as sarcasm, but perhaps a better way to describe it is this is the economy of God. That where we see incompetence, where we see fear, where we see failure, God sees opportunity. 
God sees what can be. As the story goes on, we find that Gideon's might does not come from his own, own brains. Gideon's might does not come from his own abilities. The fact that Gideon is a warrior doesn't come from his skill with the sword. The thing that makes Gideon a warrior is the fact that God sees in him someone who will follow his commands. Someone that will do what God wants him to do. Because that's the economy of God. It's not found in our ability. It's not found in our results. It's not found in where we are. It's found in the openness of our heart on whether we will be obedient to God or not. So how does Gideon react? And I love this bit. This is, the more you look at this bit, this is, it, it, it's fabulous. Gideon says, face with God, the angel of the Lord upon him. Let's, let's, let's assume the angel of the Lord is a pretty awesome sight. Gideon says, wait right there. I'll be back in a moment. And he goes and makes unleavened bread. I read this in the NIV version. The NIV version makes it very clear he kills a young goat. It's, it's, it's a kid here. You can kind of miss this. He goes and kills and prepares a goat. I don't know how, how your butchery skills are, but that's not a quick process, butchering a goat. The flour, it says an ephah, I can't take Mike's pronunciation over mine, of flour. That's 20 kilos of flour. As, as much flour as you'd probably just about lift. He uses all that to make these cakes. Then he makes a broth. How many of you have made stock before? Nice quick process that, isn't it? Three, four hours boiling away of the bones. All the time, the angel of the Lord sitting there. God waits. God is patient. If you've been waiting for God to act in your life, if you've been sitting there going, where is God? God, this shows the heart of the economy of God is that he is patient. That he waits for Gideon to come back. And then in a wonderful moment, which must have been hours of preparation, the angel of the Lord says, put it down there. He touches it with his staff and it disappears. And it's consumed in a moment. What we can ha- spend hours and days and years and months preparing for, in an instant, God can transform it to something that changes us, changes the world, and in this case, changes the Israelites. And then faith starts to rise in Gideon's heart. He continues to test it. The next part of this story, we have the famous part story of the fleece. Again, this shows that Gideon sometimes doesn't have a huge amount of faith. He puts the fleece out and says, if God's with us, the, the fleece will get wet and the ground will be dry. And that's what happens. And he rins out the fleece and then says, we'll try it the other way around. The fleece will be dry and the ground will be wet. God is so patient with us, isn't he? And then finally, he goes into battle. And he has tens of thousands of men. God has built up around Gideon an enormous army, but perhaps an army that's not big enough to go against the Midianites who were better equipped. And so God tells him to reduce the numbers. First, send home those who are fearful. Then, 
Send home those who, when you get to the river, did on their hands and knees and lap the water up, rather than those who bring the water to their mouths. Now, there are commentators here. You can read the commentators who will tell you the sensible reasons about why you should send the people who are fearful home. Because having people who are frightened in an army is not a good idea. And that's right. You can read commentators who will tell you that the people who get on their hands and knees and, and lap at the river aren't as aware and they're not, they're not aware, as aware of their circumstances around them. And actually those who take the water and up are, are more active in engaging with where the enemy might come from. They're the SAS of the, of the army. We can find sensible reasons to explain away why God chose to do this. But really the short is, would you want to go in the, into battle with a huge army or just 300 of the SAS? And maybe you say, yes, 300 of the SAS could be really effective, but would you prefer to go into battle with a whole army that includes that 300 of the SAS or just the, just, just the elite? What Gideon does is foolish, but it is within the economy of God. What Gideon does is not the sensible thing, but rather it is the thing that God asks. Do we choose to do the sensible thing, or do we choose to do what God asks? The conclusion of the story of Gideon is not that we should be more scared more unsure and more incompetent, but that relying on our bravery, relying on our security, relying on our abilities and competence is not in the economy of God. That sometimes we have to rely on things that are further than those things. Sometimes we have to lay down our security. Sometimes we have to lay down relying on our abilities in our personal life, we've seen this. When I changed job that led to work for me to work for the church, I didn't know when, what, what God would do. And God delivered more than I could possibly imagine. When Carl and I chose to start a family, we didn't know where we would live in a house that, was, that, that could, but God provided. More recently, when Carl started a doctorate, doctorate we, we had no idea on how God was going to provide. And the stories that I can tell you of people who came out of nowhere and said, oh, I've got, a tr- I've got a trust fund that sponsors people through higher education. Here's some money. And that God provided again and again and again. Each time we've stepped out in faith, we are met by a compassionate and generous God. And if we're not careful, we only look in retrospect. We only see the battles that have been won rather than the battles that we are in now. Who remembers baptisms in the river? That was good fun, wasn't it? Yay, Penny does. One of you do. We forgot the battles that we had in the lead up to that when we were told that it was unsensible, it was stupid, and probably hadn't been risk assessed enough. The amount of emails that I got. We're a church who started a youth club. We started an entire school. God will do more in us. God has shown us new things. God has shown us a taste of what is to come. 
But all those things started with great steps of faith. And are we willing to take another great step of faith, even when it looks foolish, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's not what we we want to do, even when we don't think we can do it? The first question we have to ask ourselves is not, is can we do this? Is, 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 Is this what God wants? And then we have to ask, is this the way God wants it? And then we have to ask, are we reliant on him? We are called to do those things that if God doesn't show up, if God doesn't provide, if God doesn't give us more than we could ever expect, they won't happen. So let us be bold. Let us be mighty warriors. But let us be mighty warriors knowing that we are just hiding in a wine press, doing a silly job that we shouldn't be doing but knowing that God can transform that meager offering to make us a mighty force for Jesus Christ if we will only just obey and trust. Amen.